sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinach. As they say, the proverbial devil's in the detail. How do we protect religious liberty in a culture that is increasingly hostile to religious freedom and favoring sexual liberty over religious liberty? Well, there's a, a wonderful coalition effort ongoing, and this is uh, yet another episode in our series on Fairness for All. And our guest today, Jafri Lamaglio, Vice President for Government and External Relations of the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities. Shapri, welcome to Freedom Spring. Hi, thank you. So, first of all, a word about the Council for Christian Colleges and Universities. What exactly is the Council? Well, we're an association of Christian higher education institutions. We're located in Washington, D.C., on, in our, the Capitol Hill neighborhood, and we have three primary functions that we do. Uh, we're about 180 Christian colleges nationwide, and we do advocacy, professional development, and experiential education semester abroad programs for our members. So are the members of the council concerned about potentially losing their religious freedom and protecting their religious character? Absolutely. And how do they perceive, or how do you, as in representing them, how do you perceive that threat? Well, I think it's very real. As your lead-in said, um, there has been this conflict that has arisen between expanding sexual liberties and how those will intersect with religious liberties. And for too long, the paradigm has been that one must win over the other. One must conquer the other. We call and it zero-sum so, game. That's correct. And so I think what um, you know what we're going to talk about is how do we figure out a way that, that that doesn't have to be the case, that, that more than one set of people can have freedom to live according to their beliefs and convictions. Now, within the faith community, there are certainly those who want freedom for themselves, but not freedom for those who differ. You know, they don't want protection for LGBT rights. But I gather that the council, um, along with my own denomination, the Seventh-day Adventist Church, are part of a coalition that are looking for ways to protect freedom for all, which is what fairness for all really means, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly right, Alan. We're looking to the idea that actually, what if the way to more freedom is to promote freedom, to promote freedom for all people as a way to preserving freedom for ourselves and for subsequent generations of people to come? I think the question is, do we want the government determining or preferencing one set of beliefs over the other? Or do we want the government preserving neutral space in the marketplace of ideas where we can hash it out and debate and discuss and where people can choose what they think is the best ideas? And I think we've seen religious persons in the past promote religious values and religious ideas as what the law should promote and protect. And now we are seeing a different set of values and different set of ideas being promoted as, no, no, the law should preference these. And we think, as I said, that the law's preference should not be for ideas or viewpoints. The law's preference 
should be for freedom for all. You know, I love the way that you put that as far as should the government determine, you know, uh, favor one set of beliefs over another or create that neutral space for people to work it out for themselves. I, uh, I did a recent Facebook post where, you know, I celebrated the right of everyone to figure it out for themselves. Atheists, Jews, Christians, whatever. Um, and I think that's really what America is about. Can we preserve that freedom? We get to decide for ourselves. We get to figure out our own beliefs. The state doesn't tell us or, or punish us or punish our institutions. Uh, kind of more significant here. I think the risk is really not so much for individual beliefs, but for institutions, isn't it? Yeah, I think institutions are certainly, um, at the tip of the spear in many ways because because of their nature as institutions, they just tend to interact with government in a lot of different ways at a lot of different levels. I use the example that, you know, a Christian college or university will interact with the federal government, state government, and local government right on down to how many times per semester they have to test their fire alarm. I mean, there's just a lot of interaction with government. And so if government does have a preferred viewpoint, and as you say, that it's going to require, you know, institutions that interact with it and that are compliant with its regulations and requirements to hold, then, yeah, religious institutions are going to be the first um, kinds of religious entities that are going to, to quickly uh, be out of compliance. And I think to our earlier conversation, Alan, what people so often forget is that when we talk about, well, well, this should be the way it is or that should be the way it is, the reality is the government is the only kind of entity that can make something a certain way. And so when you actually say to people, like, is government the one that you want actually deciding this? Or do you want them to be a referee that calls balls and strikes and creates neutrality? When people actually stop and step away from maybe what their preferred viewpoint is, that they wish their neighbor would have also, and then you actually step back and you think, but the only way to make my neighbor have that view is for the government to impose it upon them. But the only way to make my neighbor do that thing is to have the government make them do it. And I think a lot of people, when you step back and ask that question, are like, wait a minute, actually, even though I wish my neighbor thought the same way I do, I don't want the government making them do that. I think it's a very clear way to express it. Now, in practical terms, um, I think you've done some uh some analysis on how religious freedom is best protected and whether that's by the court or by the legislature. And I wonder if you can address, you know, why it is that, you know, the First Amendment isn't enough. We thought we, you know, we had religious freedom in the First Amendment and in many state constitutions, but it turns out we really do need to uh, be much more specific and have legislative solutions. Can you speak to that for a minute? Right. Well, yeah, absolutely, Alan, as you say, right, when courts are put in the situation of the First Amendment being the only guiding document they have, um, while the First Amendment is strong and is robust and is essential, it's not very nuanced, right? It can't get into the nuances of a complex situation and and try to and, and articulate how one type of institution maybe would be a little bit treated differently by the law than this other type of institution because of X given circumstances. 
And of course, that's what laws do, right? That's why laws are so long and the Constitution is short, because laws actually think through every kind of implication as much as they can and use a scalpel and the Constitution as a hatchet. And so something is either constitutional or it's not. And so when legislatures act, they can get in there and they can look at, well, this kind of institution, you know, we need this kind of protection and that doesn't infringe on these other people's rights. And so we're going to go ahead and we're going to go ahead and do it that way. But in this circumstance, we need to do it a little bit differently. And when legislatures do act and they go in, courts see that. And courts, uh, one of their principles that courts apply is they will try to defer to legislatures whenever possible unless something is just flagrantly unconstitutional. And so you see that um, a colleague did some analysis of First Amendment cases under the Rehnquist Court and under the Roberts Court. And in both cases, um, when there was a statute in First Amendment cases for religious conduct that the court was applying under the Rehnquist Court, six out of seven cases, and in the Roberts Court, um, and in the Roberts Court, five out of five cases, when there was legislation, were decided. So 87% and 100% were decided in favor of the religious protection when there's legislation. Wow. And they said the court is, unless it's just flagrantly unconstitutional. But when the court, when there was a legislation and the court had to just lay the First Amendment on top of it, it was 50-50. Under the Rehnquist Court, two out of four cases. And in the Roberts case, court, one out of two cases. And so I think what we can see from that is if the legislature will do its job and act, create nuanced, well-balanced laws that protect, make an attempt to protect both parties' rights, the courts will generally defer to that. And I assure our listeners, because, you know, my day-to-day bread-and-butter law practice is dealing with religious discrimination in employment, and the courts are really um, own debt when it comes to uh, religious issues and religious discrimination issues. It's an uphill climb to get courts to understand um, whether it's the religious freedom of Christian colleges or, you know, just freedom claims generally. They're very reluctant to recognize them um, without clear statutory guidance. So I, I could not agree more with the need for this. Now, just so we're clear, what we're really talking about is balancing protection both for LGBT rights and for religious freedom. Isn't that right? That's correct. And I suppose that, um, you know, there are a lot of Christians who are very skeptical of, well, why should we support um, protecting LGBT rights? We don't believe in that. That, you know, our religion doesn't really uh, agree with that. Why should we support that? Maybe you can speak to that for a minute before, before we close. Sure. Well, I have two responses. One is kind of what I said before, is that freedom, by supporting freedom, that means we're supporting freedom for all people. And if we want to be the beneficiaries of more freedom, then that means playing a part in creating a social construct where the government doesn't promote specific ideas, but where the government promotes and protects freedom. And the second thing is, what we're talking about here, we haven't gone into specifics in this particular episode, and I know you've talked about this before, but what we're talking about here are things that actually I think most religious people don't have objections to. We're talking about housing and employment and jury duty service and financial credit. And things actually I think religious people want all people to have. 
think that we're called to love our neighbor. I think that involves ensuring that our neighbor is cared for and has mm-hmm. a roof over their head and has a job and has the ability to be treated with dignity and right. basic transactions like financial transactions and, and not in jury duty service and things of that nature. And so I well, think I, when we're actually asking, is there a way to separate kind of maybe beliefs about marriage and sexual conduct from how we think others should be able to interact with society and have access to basic public space? I think actually these aren't controversial things, and I actually think they are things that most people really want, um, want uh, LGBT persons as well as all persons to be able to um, benefit from and protect it in. You make a wonderful point. I don't think that there is any Christian teaching that suggests that um, gay people um, should be discriminated against in obtaining a job. On the contrary, the golden rule would suggest that, you know, the, the idea that we give equal employment opportunities to everybody based on their competence, um, regardless of who they are, uh, is very consistent. Well, we're out of time. Our guest today has been Chaprice Lamaglio. Uh, Vice President for Government and External Relations, the Council of Christian Colleges and Universities. This is another one in an ongoing series on fairness for all. Shapri, thank you so much for being with us on Freedom Spring today. Absolutely. Happy to join you. Thanks for inviting me, Alan. And as we close, we want to remind our listeners here at Freedom Spring, we don't just talk to talk about religious freedom. We help people suffering religious discrimination, especially in the workplace. But you can check out all of our legal resources on our website at churchstate.org, churchstate.org. And do listen to Freedom's Ring on your iTunes library or on SoundCloud. Don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved today. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, producer of Freedom's Ring, at religiousliberty.info, religiousliberty.info. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinhardt. Until next week, friends, let freedom ring. Freedom's Ring.